This is the 39th in the series of podcasts produced by the British Society of Haematology. This podcast covers the guideline on mantle cell lymphoma. Now, this podcast is being recorded over Zoom, and we apologise for any loss of quality that may occur. So my name is Dr. Toby Eyre. I'm a consultant haematologist based in Oxford in the UK. I'm a lymphoma specialist with a particular interest in mantle cell lymphoma, having published widely in this field and running clinical trials in the frontline setting in mantle cell lymphoma and the relapsed refractory disease setting. And I am the first author on the new BSH mantle cell lymphoma guidelines. Mantle cell lymphoma guidelines is entitled Diagnosis and Management of Mantle Cell Lymphoma, a British Society of Haematology guideline. Now, firstly, I'm going to talk about the guideline in terms of the diagnostics and the workup of mantle cell lymphoma. Then I'm going to move on to treatment. We're going to talk about the frontline treatment setting and some of the new developments there that have been introduced into the guideline. And then finally, move on to relapse disease, talk about BTK inhibition in first relapse, and then talk about the post-BTK space. And then finally, I'll talk about the challenging management of central nervous system mantle cell lymphoma. So we start off within the guideline discussing pre-treatment evaluation, both in terms of clinical staging, clinical assessment, but also importantly, the genomics of the disease and the diagnostics around that. The first thing to highlight in the new guideline is that there's a brief discussion on the diagnosis, particularly in patients who do not have a cyclin D1 rearrangement. So uh, as a recap, most patients with mantle cell lymphoma have CD5, CD20 positive disease, which is also cyclin D1 positive on immunohistochemistry. There are a small proportion of patients that are cyclin D1 negative and also SOX11 positive who have not got the translocation of the 1114 gene. And of course, some of these patients do in fact have mantle cell lymphoma. So within the guideline, as well as considering all the standard workup, we also say you should consider testing for cyclin D2 and cyclin D3. And it's worth considering this in your MDTs because there are rare cases who have this aberrancy that are otherwise typically managed as per mantle cell lymphoma. So consider this in your patients. The other key feature that we discuss in this guideline in quite some depth, it's TP53 mutation analysis. Now, there's been data over recent years suggesting that this is a very strong, poor prognostic factor, independent of the mantle cell lymphoma international prognostic index. And we uh, really suggest that this mutational analysis is performed in all patients at diagnosis. And this is in preference to FISH analysis for 17P deletion. This is because some of the management strategies, including, for example, the use of autologous stem cell transplant, might be managed differently um, in terms of patients who have a TP53 mutation. And we know that these patients progress through both frontline immune chemotherapy and second-line covalent BTK inhibition really very quickly. And so management strategies need to be in place for these patients. And it's really important to identify these high-risk patients at diagnosis, if at all possible. So this point is stressed in the guideline. Moving on to frontline management, there are 
two key aspects to frontline management that are discussed, which are really new from the previous guideline. One of these is uh, the recommendation following the triangle clinical trial. Now, as a reminder, the triangle clinical trial introduced frontline ibrutinib during induction um, with RCHOP when RCHOP is uh, alternated with RDHAP. There were three arms to this study. Uh, patients in the standard arm received CHOP DHAP induction, then an autologous stem cell transplant. The second arm added ibrutinib to that combination. So it introduced ibrutinib during the induction with the RCHOP and also for two years following an autologous stem cell transplant. And the final arm, the arm perhaps of most interest, is the arm when, where ibrutinib was added in during induction and for two years of maintenance, but the autologous stem cell transplant was dropped. Um, and it's uh, interesting to find the results that we have so far from the triangle study to suggest that uh, giving an autologous stem cell transplant without ibrutinib is not superior to that um, induction with ibrutinib, but without autologous stem cell transplant. Now, there are issues at the moment around access to frontline ibrutinib. It's not licensed or funded in this setting. But if it was licensed and reimbursed, we have recommended that approach. But for now, younger patients should receive an induction with with high-dose cytarabin and rituximab-based treatment. An autologous transplant should still be offered and a maintenance rituximab should follow the autologous transplant. Now, we do suggest that we consider alternative consolidation strategies, uh, preferably in the context of a clinical trial in patients who have a TP53 mutation, as already mentioned. The other uh, real change or development over recent years since the previous guideline has been the identification and understanding of a so-called indolent group of patients with mantle cell lymphoma. Now from the UK mantle cell lymphoma biobank, nearly 40% of patients have been um, initially observed, which is a very interesting finding, and we await further analysis from that, um, from that data set in due course. But we really spend a little bit of um, time discussing indolent mantle cell lymphoma and the fact that it is reasonable to consider active observation in untreated asymptomatic mantle cell lymphoma patients with low volume disease. And there's also a subgroup which we identify and discuss with isolated splenic, peripheral blood and bone marrow involvement that again can be observed. Now, early intervention for these patients otherwise should be ideally assessed within the context of clinical trials, and we uh, recommend that as well. Now, BTK inhibition has become a cornerstone of relapsed management of mantle cell lymphoma over the past few years, and we really reiterate this in the guideline. Covalent BTK inhibitors have been found to be highly effective in relapsed mantle cell lymphoma with uh, responses between 70 and 80 percent and ibrutinib is the currently approved and reimbursed standard of care option at first relapse in the UK. So nice of mandated use of ibrutinib at first relapse following a pooled analysis of ibrutinib treated patients within clinical trials showing the benefit of using ibrutinib at that point and so we reiterate the important um, management of relapsed mantle cell lymphoma using ibrutinib at first relapse. Now, there are, of course, ongoing clinical trials comparing either novel BTK inhibitors or novel combinations compared to uh, ibrutinib, and so we encourage enrollment in, into clinical trials. 
but we want to reiterate within the guideline that ibrutinib is the standard of care at this time point. Now, one of the really important uh, points which we uh, reiterate in this guideline and also uh, have talked about in detail in our previous addendum um, last year is the assessment of risk at first relapse. This is um, really being based on the fact that the initial experience with CAR T-cell therapy, so brexicaptogene or telucil in the third line treatment setting, was limited by the proliferative nature of uh, patients' disease when considered for CAR T-cell therapy. So early in the experience, a lot of patients were really falling off the treatment pathway due to their disease becoming highly proliferative and their inability to wait and respond to bridging during the manufacture process and redelivery of brexicaptogene or telucil. So re really, the guideline reiterates the importance of risk assessment when patients start a covalent PTK inhibitor at first relapse. And that uh, requires patients to be considered for rebiopsy, to reassess the key 67, TP53 if it hasn't been analysed, and of course, to look for um, a change in the histology. So has the disease become blastoid or pleomorphic? If you take patients who have a combination or one or more of either TP53 mutations, um, high key 67 greater than equal to 30% or pleomorphic and blastoid disease or a high uh, simplified MIPI, that group of patients as a composite represents about a third of patients at relapse. And uh, the progression free survival, the median progression free survival in that cohort um, is less than six months. So we're really emphasizing the importance of re- assessing patients at this time point and thinking ahead, thinking one step ahead of the disease so that you can consider CAR T-cell therapy or other um, therapies in clinical trials following a covalent BTK inhibitor because we know that these patients in that high-risk subset uh, have a non-durable response or don't respond at all to the BTK inhibitor. And so that's critical to identify risk at relapse. And there's a large section within this guideline uh, really discussing this again. So that is an overview of our new UK guideline. Just to recap, we talk about uh, diagnostics with a focus on TP53 mutational analysis. In the frontline setting, we speak about uh, indolent disease and how that might be managed and uh, the triangle study and the influence that may in the future have on our frontline management. At first relapse, we discussed the role of covalent BTK inhibitors and the importance of risk assessment uh, before starting a BTK inhibitor. And finally, we talk about some of the agents in development and central nervous system disease management. So thank you to the listeners for listening to this podcast on the new mantle cell lymphoma BSH guidelines. I'd like to invite the listeners to visit b-s-h.org.uk to listen to more exciting podcasts from the British Society of Haematology about various other important guidelines. Thank you for listening.